Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, here we are. We're right smack bang in the middle of yet another quintessentially exciting week. And we've got Prince Harry, uh, who's turned up once again for day two of his trial. Uh, actually, it's day three of his trial, but he only started yesterday. Uh, and he got out of his Range Rover, uh, strolled in, waved to the adoring crowd outside. And off he went again uh, to tell us all how he hates the government, how he hates Britain, how he hates the press, how he particularly hates everybody else that happens to live here. Um, and we'll have more of the same with Angela Levin coming up a little bit later on uh, in this hour. We shall keep you updated, of course, uh, with every little cough and spit uh, of what he's got to say for himself. Apparently, it's all everybody else's fault. Uh, woe is he, and uh, life is absolutely awful for him, despite the £30 million trust fund, despite living in a mansion in California with the most beautiful woman in the world that he keeps saying he loves to death, and two beautiful children. But he just can't be happy, can he? Just can't be happy. Poor old Harry. What a terrible life he's got. I wonder if maybe he should give it all up and go and live in a mud hut somewhere uh, where he might be at least unable to be driven mad by the press. Yes, of course he could disappear if he wanted to. Uh, Much of what he's complaining about, of course, um, doesn't really hold water. Much of what he was asking about yesterday, he didn't know the answers to. Some of it he didn't even remember. But there we are. 0344 499 1000. Prince Harry of Woke uh, will be back a little bit later on. First up, though, William Clouston is here, leader of the Social Democratic Party. We're going to talk to him about some proper stories, including, of course, the incredible Dowden unit that was led uh, by Oliver Dowden, uh, who is now, of course, sitting in uh, as Deputy Prime Minister. He will be doing Prime Minister's questions today because the Prime Minister is off to Washington to see if he can do a deal with Joe Biden about AI so that we don't all die a horrible death at the hands of robots or something like that, uh, Oliver Dowden was put in charge of an ultra-secretive counter-disinformation unit uh, known as the CDU during the pandemic, where people like me, people like Julie Hartley Brewer, people like Molly Kingsley, people like Peter Hitchens, were actually put under surveillance, would you believe, by the government, because they didn't like the fact that we were questioning them over what some of their COVID policies were. It turns out, of course, that lockdown policies were entirely and utterly pointless, useless, and probably not worth enacting given the damage that has now been caused not only to the economy, but to the mental health of this nation. And let's talk about that, because I keep hearing from people more and more and more as the days go by into the long, hot summer nights that we're about to have, 
that we are now a country on the edge, on the edge of madness, on the edge of violence, on the edge of breaking down, on the edge of disorder. Everywhere you look, there are people fighting each other. Everywhere you look, there are cars crashing into each other. Everywhere you look, there are cyclists sticking two fingers up to drivers. There are people getting into it on tube trains, on trains around the country. It's a pretty bad scene out there, I'll let you know. And I'll be taking your calls on that as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. We've got lots of other people to talk to as well. Andrea Jenkins MP is going to be coming on to tell us about her animal rights bill because apparently uh, she's not very happy that the government have decided to water it all down. Henry Bolton is here to talk about the latest from the migrant front. Trevor Kavanagh uh, will be here as well to have a look and cast his eye over Angela Rayner versus um, Oliver Dowd. And Annabelle Denham also here, uh, Deputy Comment Editor from The Telegraph. She's got plenty to say about Oxfam. And Donald McLeod, uh, my good friend from north of the border, will tell us all about the ULES scheme in Glasgow, how it's killing off business and why there is a problem with getting to the islands of Scotland. 0344 499 1000. As if that's not all good enough for you, we've got the world of woke. We'll be telling you about the latest madness from the climate nutters. And of course, we will be taking your calls because we care about your opinions and this is where you can voice them. 0344 499 1000. Welcome to the greatest show in the history of television. This is Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a beautiful day out there. I thought this was going to be the hottest day of the year. They got that one wrong, didn't they? It's not even hot, never mind the hottest. It's not even warm. In fact, it's actually quite chilly. I still had to wear a coat this morning. Hottest day of the year, uh, my backside, as they would say. Uh, now, just before we talk to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, let's have a look at the one of the heirs to the throne uh, about to throw it all under the bus. Here he comes. Prince Harry getting out of his beautiful, beautifully very well-appointed Range Rover, uh, wearing some very nice clothes. I don't know whether he's being dressed by Dior today, like he was at the coronation. Uh, they put out a tweet, remember, saying uh, that Prince Harry is wearing Dior today. Maybe he's wearing Versace or possibly Gucci. Who knows what he's wearing? Um, but I can tell there is a certain whiff coming off him um, and it's not too pleasant. There we are. William Clouston is here. William, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. So, I mean, we should start with the uh, secretive unit run by Oliver Dowden to keep tabs on everybody. But I feel as though I need to get your view of the Prince Harry circus before we do anything. Um, lots of different accounts in newspapers this morning. Um, the general feeling seems to be, unless you are somebody who is obsessed with liking Prince Harry and hating everybody else, that he's kind of overshot the mark a bit here, hasn't he? Oh, probably. He's made so many other calls that are, are foolish. Um, I mean, a lot of people in this country would wish that he just goes to California and lives a quiet life. And, of course, that option is open to him. If it he is. wishes yeah. to need to earn any money, he's got plenty of money, he could live a quiet life. And most of the things, a lot of the things that he harps on about are very, very first world problems, uh, many of which are caused by himself. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, he has pointed out, I mean, he only has to win on a couple of these and he'll, he'll, he'll do OK. And there's, there's a lot of mud being thrown. I mean, I think the bottom line for him is that he just wants to make a point. And he's a bit like a recalcitrant child who, you know, won't eat his dinner because he wants to say something to you about life in general or something that he's learned or something that he's observed, you know. And the fact that he unilaterally wants to completely change the media landscape of Britain is all very well. But nobody's actually asked him to do it, thanks. 
Well, I don't think he'll achieve in doing that anyway. I mean, obviously, some of these issues are important. You know, hacking and 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 many celebrities have, have commented on it before. But we'll wait and see what happens. As I say, I, I the thing that I find exasperating about Harry and Meghan is that they have the option to live a quiet life, and then they complain about people being interested in what they're doing, or they cause that. Yeah. I mean, they're the cause of this. Well, exactly right. And I mean, as I said last night on the talk, he's not the only member of the royal family who has been subjected to almost constant news coverage ever since he's been in, alive. You know, that's the case for an awful lot of them. And the price they pay for that um, is rewarded by the amount of money they get for free for doing nothing. That's right. Basically, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't all do nothing. I mean, I think Harry's, uh, again, he's, he's, he's um, got rid of his obligations, hasn't he? Yeah, so but he, didn't what, have to, he doesn't I, have to do anything, and he's a very wealthy young man, and he's not really a yeah. young man anymore either. But, I mean, you know, he was born into a very privileged world in which he didn't have to do anything except no, live point, in very big houses, get driven around in very big cars, and have a constant security around him. Yeah, but the point is, he's, he, um, him and his wife are trading on their titles... Uh, and yet they're not prepared to do any work for it. So yeah. I'd say no, no work, no title. Also, anyway. Jenny Bond wrote a piece. Jenny Bond wrote a piece in um, uh, the Independent, I think, today, in which she said, you know, if nothing else, you know, Harry is proving the point that words do have consequences. Well, touche, I would say, because he has words in his book that also have consequences. You know, he's invaded loads of people's privacy without asking their permission, including the woman to whom he lost his virginity, and he didn't seem to care too much about that. No, and precisely, and made quite a lot of money out of it. So, yes, it's um, one rule for him and one rule for everyone else. Exactly. Now, we're going to go down live to the court to speak to our, a reporter very shortly. But just before we do that, let's kick off with this COVID Big Brother unit, the counter-disinformation <laughs> unit. You'll probably say to me that, you know, you're not surprised that this was going on, but I was quite shocked to discover that people were actually under surveillance. Uh, we were shocked. I mean, it, I... I... I, 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 it shouldn't happen. I mean, I don't, I don't object to the government having a, a counter uh, disinformation unit in relation to foreign powers that are against us or our enemies. But all many of us were doing was asking questions. And I don't think there were, there were enough people asking questions. Honestly, at the height of this, it was mm. you, Julie Hartley Brewer, Peter Hitchens, one or two others, and one or two, uh, you know, Carl Hennigan and a few other people, Sinetra Gupta. But there were too few people asking questions. And I believe... Actually, in about three or four years' time, when all the evidence comes out and when it's proved in the data that lockdowns actually killed people, yeah. far more people than they saved, you will struggle to find anyone that said they supported lockdowns. And, no. and, and, exactly you know, right. Very, exactly yeah. right. Let me just stop you there, William, for a second. We'll come right back to you uh, for more thoughts on that. Let's go live now, though, to uh, the Courts of Justice, where Oliver Whitfield Mircic is awaiting for us. Oliver, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, uh, Harry appears today. The only thing I could really spot was that he wasn't wearing a purple tie, and that was about the only difference. He has arrived. He came via his fancy Range Rover, as you said, and straight into the building, not stopping to take any questions. He was due in court in around 15 minutes' time, where that cross-examination will continue. Andrew Green, who's representing the Mirrors titles, will continue trying to poke holes in his stories, pointing out to different inaccuracies between his written testimony, between what he wrote or what his autobiographer wrote in the memoir Spare and then what he is saying in court and basically what he's trying to do is show that some of these stories came from already uh, already uh, information that was already in the public domain so via the palace press office, via the press association, 
even via Prince Harry himself on the story that was written ahead of his 18th birthday. Prince Harry had already given that information to a news outlet and then the Mirror had wrote it up. However, Prince Harry says there are a number of stories within that bundle which he does not believe could have been obtained unless it was by using illegal means. Stories such as when he flew back from a visit with Chelsea Davy. Somehow the Mirror had managed to find the exact date he was coming back on. He says that information would have never been shared with the press because it was all about his security operation. The palace was very worried about any leaks of that sort and so he wants to know how the Mirror got a hold of it. He also wants to find out why the Mirror was able to publish a front page splash about him catching glandular fever, something he says was incredibly personal, something he was deeply ashamed of. He'd only told very few members of his family about it and yet after that happened he says he was ridiculed at school, other children had avoided him. So those are the main lines that were going down here. The Mirror saying show us the proof, Prince Harry saying your journalists should be in court providing evidence and we know that only a few of them are going to do so. Oliver, thanks very much indeed. We'll come back to you later on uh, in the show. Oliver Whitfield, Beardshitch, there live down at the courts um, uh, of justice where Harry will be giving evidence for a second day. Uh, he'll also be talking to his own lawyer in addition to the one uh, from the Mirror. Let's go back to William Clouston though. William, um, as you say, I think an awful lot of people will be quite shocked when they do discover the truth about what happened during lockdown. We've seen that report which came out earlier this week in the Telegraph uh, in which it said that an awful lot of the lockdown measures really were completely and utterly pointless. Yeah, they were, but they w weren't just pointless. They um, weren't effective in their stated uh, aims. But the, the, the broader effects of the lockdowns were damaging to health, damaging to our economy long, long term and damaging to society. And I think that the weight of that evidence uh, is increasing. And, you know, the bird's eye view look on how countries did. Many of us argued that we should be taking an approach more like the Swedish approach. We, I argued strongly for that. And, you know, now we see that Sweden's uh, data on excess deaths from all causes is uh, some of the best in the world. And, we, you know, we, we weren't listened to. The fact that we were spied on is, is not a, a good thing. Uh, but I, as I say, it'll, it'll come out. The, the facts are the thing that you rely on in the end, Mike, on this, all of us. I never, I never made any arguments uh, during the pandemic when I was uh, objecting to lockdowns that weren't rational. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're talking to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, let's have a chat about uh, Rishi Sunak. He's off in America uh, meeting up with Joe Biden, supposedly uh, going to discuss at some point the flagship package of investment in green industries, uh, what's being called Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which has come under quite a lot of scrutiny, quite a lot of criticism, not least from the EU uh, and even from Grant Shapps. What do you make of it? Um, well, Biden's programme is just... Um, uh, basically a protectionist uh, industrial reindustrialization mm. program. He's selected and prioritized uh, what he calls green industries and so on. And that's part of his proposal to decarbonize. But if you, actually, if you look at Biden uh, through the years, he's always been uh, a protectionist. He's probably more protectionist, actually, uh, than Donald Trump. Um, he, he gets a little bit of a buy on that from his um, his, his liberal yes. support. But this goes all the way back, actually. Um, I mean, I, I actually have a lot of um, sympathy for it. I, I, I mean, not so much for the prioritization of green stuff, but I think reindustrialization is a massive, massive issue in the West. 
he's got all these issues, these, these cities, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, Ohio and, and, and Philly and places that are ex-industrial, got major, major problems. I've said many times before, you close the factories as drug dealers move in. So he's trying to address that for his own economy. He may be, some economists think he's going too far in relation to the sort of trade war with China. Why? Because China, the Americans like us, that was so reliant on China industrially that if he overplays it, the potential for a, a sort of global downturn is there. But I mean, do you, I mean, do I think we in the UK should be doing a similar industrial policy? Yes, I do. Right. My problem with it is that it's very expensive. And of course, the bill is being laid flatly at the door of the taxpayer. Uh, you know, and that's all very well uh, if you're going to rebuild an economy which everybody's going to benefit from. But mm. unfortunately, I don't like this subsidy to kind of get through the recession type policy, because I just think you're getting yourself further and further into debt and further and further into the black hole. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that, actually. And, and if you look at the trajectory of uh, U.S. public debt, um, it actually is up uh, to Italy level now. The yeah. different, funny thing is that if you compare it with Italy, Italy's trajectory is coming down. Actually, they have a primary surplus mm. in Italy. They're dealing with the problems. But actually, I see no sign whatsoever that the Americans are going to get uh, put the lid on their ridiculous level of spending, federal spending. So I, I'm very worried about that, and I agree with you. I think what the major challenge, actually, is to try and reindustrialize without massive, massive uh, uh, spending programs. But you do have to want to. I always argue that the biggest problem in this country is that our governing class for 20, 30 years haven't really paid much attention to industry. Mm. And that's why we have a very big uh, um, uh, trade deficit. And the trade deficit makes us poorer every year. And unless we wake up to it, it's just going to get worse. And shouldn't we also be encouraging governments to tax us less in all ways, you know, whether it be corporation tax, whether it be income tax and whether it be national insurance, you know, let us keep more of our own money and that will stimulate the economy because people will spend it. Well, I think the state is as is, is big as it needs to be. I'm not, I, I haven't argued for uh, an increase in the size of the state. I think we have to do, uh, what, what I want of the state is more um, <clears throat> direct capacity to do things. Mm. So what we tend to get from uh, successive governments is uh, um, an over-reliance on regulation and taxation, but without them actually doing anything and actually producing the goods. So I would want a state that actually is capable of building a few houses or get, getting a handle on our energy supply. Mm. You know, the real concrete things, and I, I always say, I, I don't think we're asking for very much, is what the public wants. I don't think the public wants a massively bloated state. There's lots of parts of the state which I, you know, you could get rid of at a stroke. You could save a few billion quid by just getting rid of diversity, inclusion, officers in every public department for a start. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, I mean, the problem we see at the moment, and I was talking about this, I hinted at it sort of at the start of the show, is there's a kind of sense that we're slightly living on the edge at the moment. You know, people are kind of wondering about the future. They're not really settled. They feel a bit kind of restless. I talk to an awful lot of people who say the same kinds of things to me in different ways. I know a guy who's moving house because... He wants to get away from his neighbours because it's all getting a bit fractious in the street mm. where he lives, you know, where there's social inactivity and there's a lot of social kind of uh, um, unrest, if you like. You know, there's high streets where shops are not sure whether they're going to get robbed, whether they're going to get a plate, uh, you know, brick thrown through the window. There's people out mm. there having rounds with each other in the street. There's fights on every beach in the country uh, with youths kind of just punching each other for no reason. Mm. It feels very sort of fractious, doesn't it? It does, yeah. In the cities, I mean, there's a lot. I think, in particularly in the British cities, we're we're suffering a sort of crime as legal phenomenon, where mm. if 
it starts with low level stuff supposedly low level stuff like you know people stealing bikes yeah Bicycle, the, the police don't seriously look at that i had a friend who who was uh you know victim of a uh, credit card fraud he had evidence uh, who did it and it wasn't properly investigated they probably just don't have time yeah. so there's a level you know street robberies and other things are not being dealt with so no, there is a sense in the cities where, you know, uh, crime is, is becoming legal and there's disorder. I mean, actually, funny, the commentator Ben Cobley tweeted yesterday about, uh, you know, mass fare dodging that he's observed yes. in South London. Again, this is all part of a sort of um, a fraying of, of the common life and civil society. It's funny, I would say there's a wonderful case. One of my political heroes, Lee Kuan Yew, Prime Minister of Singapore, was in London in 1948. Uh, just as a young man, and he observed um, people leaving uh, money in a tin for the the, the paper, you know, the, the newspaper, yeah. uh, because the newspaper seller had gone to the loo or whatever. And he said, "That's a that's a really civilized society, and it's tragic. We've lost that. You know, we really have lost that." Yeah, and it doesn't take much for the sort of veneer uh, of social society to, to to just disappear does it i mean my father was used to say this when i was growing up in quite a nice part of north london and he always used to say to me you know one day people if people are not feeling right about life they'll just come and take stuff they won't care uh, what happens to them they won't care what happens to the person they're taking it from they'll just come and say well you've got that i'm going to take it that's kind of where we are yeah but it's also i mean yeah well certainly mike you can see that in some of the american cities seattle and portland things you know in san francisco they, these places if they're not properly governed just uh, decline, crime becomes endemic, and the lucky ones, the people that are able to leave, leave, and then the city gets poorer. I think part of it's a narrative, actually. I think part of the social justice narrative that you hear um, is, 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 is far too soft on mm. this stuff. You know, people view it, you know, things like shoplifting and, yeah. and people call petty crime as somehow uh, justifiable. It isn't justifiable. No crime no i mean i was talking to somebody on this very station the other day about this that you know a lot of supermarkets are now not stocking things like steak and quite expensive items of food on the shelves because they're getting stolen and by far and away the most likely reaction to that was well it's not surprising food's so expensive well no actually you know don't steal it just because you can't afford it no i mean i a lot of my a lot of my values actually i i i got from my my grandfather who was a police officer in liverpool in the in the 20s and 30s 40s and 50s uh, in a you know very very difficult economic time, uh, there was no knife crime, there was no there was crime, but there was n nowhere near the level of crime that you get now. Yeah. And people always uh, blame poverty or whatever. I think the biggest problem is, is is sort of social decay, moral decay. People you know are not able to 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 grasp what is right and wrong. And then the police you know the the, the police are in in a terrible state in this country. Mm, they really are, and that is where it all probably begins, I should think. William, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, uh, talking about a great many things, including this sense, and I don't know whether you share this sense, but a lot of people that I talk to recently do, a sense of kind of foreboding, a sense a little bit of um, kind of slightly anarchistic uh, street life. That's kind of how it feels. People are doing whatever they like. People are stealing whatever they want, uh, jumping barriers, not paying for their trains, not paying for their bus fares, um, basically fighting each other all the time, getting very short-tempered with each other. It's a very interesting time we're living through, and I wonder where it's going to end. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, Angela Levin is going to be here. We're going to talk about Prince Harry and some of the things he came out with yesterday uh, while he was being questioned by uh, the Mirror Group newspaper's barrister. We'll find out as well from her what's happening today in the case. This is Talk TV.
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, once again, nobody in the new elite will be held to account over COVID spying scandal, says Mick. Uh, and one from, um, where are we, Bill, who says, Mike, regarding the disinformation unit, your guest says there were not enough voices in opposition to COVID measures like lockdowns, etc. As I remember, at least 1,500 scientists signed the Barrington Declaration, numerous mass anti-lockdown marches, and I've lost count of how many voices on talk TV and radio all were dismissed, vilified or cancelled. Well, this is true. Very interesting, isn't it, uh, how people were treated. And now it turns out that during COVID itself, people were actually under surveillance. Incredible. Absolutely remarkable situation. Oliver Dowden uh, is pretty much the guy that was in charge of it all. And he's meant to be seen as this kind of safe pair of hands. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, if you had me under surveillance, matey, um, I'm not going to be very happy about that. You might have seen some things that you wish you'd never seen as well. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Angela Levin, royal biographer, our favourite royal commentator. Of course, uh, she's going to tell us what she made of Prince Harry's mewings yesterday, because I think that's what we can call them. Prince Harry's mewings. Angela, very good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, I don't know where to begin, really. Um, no. It seems to me that... that um, alone, Prince Harry is even more annoying than he is when he's with his wife. Well, he's probably been instructed by his wife, but yeah. I'm quite surprised why... Well, I am and I'm not, actually, why she didn't come over, because it's obviously stressful. Yeah. He's obviously unable to cope with questions, or he hasn't done his research properly, mm. and he's sitting for an exam type of thing. Yes. You know, suddenly realise, help, I haven't looked up anything. Um, and you would think that she would want to be there to support him, not come into the court, of course, right. but actually be there with him. But as we've seen recently, she disappears mm. and lets him, uh, well, it doesn't cope, but just let him go through it on his well, own. Well, she didn't, yeah, I mean, she didn't come for the coronation where he was here for about five minutes. Yeah. Um, he's come here again this time basically to tell us that he hates the government. Uh, he doesn't like Britain very much. He hates the British press. I mean, you know, I don't understand what his point is, really. But he also wants to be um, addressed as His Royal Highness. Yes, which he promised the Queen he would not use. Mm. So, you know, it's blow to everybody else and I do what I want. Mm. But you can't, it's hard to understand why somebody who wants to live miles away, thousands of miles away, has no involvement in the country, won't, in terms of talking to his family or making good or even to his friends. And, and he, he thinks this is his... Uh, life's work, which that's his saying, not right, me, right. and he's going to do it on and on. He's not going to give in. Um, and I, I've been thinking, why does he want to do this? Because it's so negative and attacking. Being under attack, even if it's done politely for five hours, is not easy. Um, and I think he's looking to have a bit of power. You know, Meghan has the power in their relationship. We can all see mm. that from far um, and he doesn't have any power he's not doing any real jobs and um, so this is a way of him showing power but yeah. what he doesn't realize is that he hasn't got the ammunition well he's so a kind of petulance as well isn't it? it's a little petulant power because it's almost like he's trying to wreak revenge yes. on all the people that he thinks have done him harm and of course yeah. as i was saying on a show last night he's not the only member of the royal family uh, who's been in the spotlight all of his life you know most people in the royal family have had the same treatment most of them can deal with it but he can't no well we've seen very much that he's very happy to crash into other people's privacy yeah. his father his brother all those things but he feels that nobody's allowed to do that to him um so it's uh 
very, very poor judgment. But mm. the other thing I think of, it can really be he's he's his likes to self-destruct. He did that at school. He did that in the army. Um, every now and then, when things are working out well, he does something that is so makes him look ridiculous or wrong or mm. silly, like you know. And and it's um, I think something happens to him that he has to destroy. That my third thing and last is that he's obviously got this addiction, um, and whether he's taken that to the court where he becomes a serial litigant. Yes. And he keeps on coming back and taking people to court or threatening to take them to court. And then if they don't, uh, if he doesn't win that time, he'll come back and do another one. I mean, he's got loads and loads of pocket money to waste on this. And if that gives him a sort of kick, um, I fear he might do that. Mm. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I think at one point last month, he had six different cases in the High Court going on at the same time, you know, practically filling up the entire space of the building. You know, and it's almost as though you're right. He's looking for something to kind of hold on to as a kind of almost like a um, a calling of some kind, you know, because it's not really a job to keep appearing in court and suing people. Um, but he's taken an awful lot of money from an awful lot of publishers and, and sort of, you know, production companies and film companies to give us his truth. But now he's yeah. being he's being actually questioned by somebody about the truth. He doesn't seem to remember very much about what actually happened. No, he's even said to them, ask the journalists. Yeah. No, he's got the name of the journalist. He doesn't know the date of the newspaper piece. Right. And, uh, it's ridiculous. But I think also that he he's put himself in a very dark place, dark and lonely place, and that's what's really sad. I mean, I think he's being ridiculous, but it's also sad that he's had to go back, you know, 20, more than 20 years mm. And it's all negative. You know, his girlfriend, Chelsea Davy, dropped him. That's everybody else's fault. Right. Could be his fault. Um, and all those things about his mother, which is obviously terrible, but actually at some point people must do their very best to move on. Mm. Um, and it's all negative. It's all in the dark. I don't know how you can build your confidence when you are in a place where it's all so far away that you can't actually change it. Right. You know, there's no point. I know lots of um, people who help... Um, those who have difficulty moving forward, they, they have to say you've got to find something that's positive, that helps you, that gives you confidence and makes you have a trust in yeah. yourself. He, he wallows, I don't mean in enjoyment way, but this is all he knows is negative, negative, negative. And um, I think today when he's got more cases, more incidents to go through with the lawyer, um, that it would just be more of a sort of heap on him. I mean, it's just extraordinary that somebody with so many opportunities can destroy himself in that way. Mm. And as you say, you know, how ironic that he wants to be called uh, His Royal Highness, but he yeah. would settle for Prince Harry, you know, so they're already calling him Prince Harry every single moment of, of the day in court. But also one other thing that I thought struck me is how overprivileged he is was that he said, he actually uttered the words in his statement, you know, I was worried that nobody at Eton would speak to me. You know, I mean, most people have never even been anywhere near the grounds of Eton, never mind actually attending the college itself inside. It's so expensive. It's so ridiculous. Nobody can do what he can do here because it's so expensive and ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what his barrister charges. It's probably about £1,000 an hour or something. You know, he's living this ludicrous, privileged life and it's all about him. I mean, surely he could find some 
better, uh, you know, sort of program of, 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 you know, humanitarian charity or something to do. He needs to find something to do, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I slightly disagree with you about Eton because I think if you're um, a boy who scraped in right at the bottom, he was often at the bottom of the class, that he would feel that he was in the wrong place. He shouldn't have gone to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, school. but I mean, to, to just Dr. be able Bunway. to, but just to be able to attend a school like that is beyond yeah, the wildest dreams of anyone. He, he didn't feel he was up to it. Um, um, it was very hard for him. So he told me that he, he couldn't cope with it. So he thought he'd go with the bad boys. Yeah. That's really sad. But what I thought was completely ludicrous. He complained about one um, piece that he accused the mirror of uh, about um, he had a meal in a very smart restaurant and that appeared in the paper. Mm. And um, he said that he thought it must have been that the lawyer said it doesn't have to be mirror. The, the famous um, chef could have rung up the paper to tell them that you were in his restaurant. Mm. And he said, no, no, no. You know, a chef would be cooking the meal. He wouldn't have time. And he didn't realise he'd probably surrounded by umpteen other chefs yes. doing different sorts. And he said, I've never been in a kitchen. Well, you know, that <laughs> shows you a lot about him. Um, but this is but it. I mean, you know, the Everybody fact is... else has to do the job. Yeah. That's why he said, get the journalist, ask the my lawyers. You know, he's not actually taking any responsibility for masses of things yeah. that he's arguing for. I mean, how does he think so many people got so many stories about his mother? Most of the time, it was because she was tipping them off herself. Yes. You know, he doesn't I, seem I, to realise, he doesn't seem to think that newspapers get stories by means uh, which are actually quite unremarkable. Yeah, I mean, I was um, in, in office at, at the Mail uh, for a long time and he would ring up journalists while you were there and, you know, she would ring up them and, and say, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be there, yeah. or going to talk to them. You know, obviously, that was asking, his own mother asked the press to come round. Yeah. So, you know, he can't just behave, blame everybody else. Mm. But the thing is, he doesn't accept any responsibility. No. Yes, well, we've seen that in the book, haven't we? When we were talking about Spare when it first came out, you know, every single yeah. passage of it is is literally dripping with kind of self-loathing and loathing of everybody else and that everybody mm. else is to blame for everything that's ever happened to him and nothing is his responsibility, apparently. Yes, well, that's um, very childish, isn't yeah. it? Rick? And also, and why, is he, why, why does he think it's, a, it's all right for him to have a go at what he regards as the rock-bottom government? Yeah, well, I think that's a very, very big mistake mm. because um, members of the royal family know that they don't sort of um, talk about politics. They don't go to one side or another side. And there he's saying, which he's not lived here for two years, and although he thinks he knows it, uh, our life here in this country has changed unrecognisably in a couple of years. Mm. And he says that, you know, the country is rock bottom. Well, you know, how dare he say that? It's an insult to us all, right. actually. He doesn't um, even live here anymore, for heaven's sake. No, well, that's what I mean. I he mean, maybe what you should do that. is take a stroll down to Los Angeles or up to San Francisco, uh, where the cities are literally riven with homeless people living in tents on the streets. Yeah, well, that's what was very interesting, actually, because he didn't mention that at all. Mm. And um, we know that the uh, paparazzi and, and press are much freer 
to do what they like. And if you are well known, you can't stop them. Well, well, he, bang, well he bangs on about the press. Everybody. You know, he bangs on about the press and, and making his life a misery. But so far, the two events that he talks about the most, i.e. his mother uh, and her tragic death in a Paris tunnel, being chased by foreign paparazzis and his own, you know, near catastrophic incident in New York City, both away from Britain, nothing to do with the British press, uh, yes. but he's having to go at the British press. Why doesn't he ever go at the French and the Americans? Yes, that's right. Well, he doesn't have the, 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 the way of doing it there. But the other thing is, you just mentioned his book, Spare. Mm. And he, what he says about p- people and situations is very different from what he's put in his, um, his... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. His draft that he had to send through to the... Uh, uh, to the court. To, to the court. Yeah. And, I mean, how? You know, somebody's pointed out, pointed that out to him, and said, "You know, this is different." He said, "Oh, is it?" You know, I mean, I, I can't imagine why the lawyer didn't actually take him through everything, word by word. Mm. But obviously, he didn't listen. No. Well, he doesn't listen, does he? Because he knows better than everybody else, and he alone uh, is the sole arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. And apparently he's forgotten about all the stupid stuff that he did um, and thinks that it was all cooked up to make him look foolish. Well, I think he's making himself look foolish, I'm afraid. I think he does look very, very foolish because um, everybody knows if you go to court, you have to provide facts Mm. and evidence. You can't take sweeping comments that I'm sure I'm right. Yes, 
doesn't work. Yeah, it really doesn't. It just makes him look yeah. like a complete idiot. Angela, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, Royal Biographer there on Harry. Day two uh, in the courts of justice, where basically yesterday he said, yeah, uh, all these stories were obtained illegally. How do you know that, Harry? Well, I just think they were. OK, then. Fine. Game, set and match. Goodbye. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Bit of a lively one, that, wasn't it? Well, well, well. Uh, it's good to hear people getting riled up, though, because that's what we want you to do. We want you to feel passionately about things because that's how things get changed. That's how things get done. Politicians will listen to people with passion. And there's nothing wrong with passion as long as you keep it clean uh, and you keep it reasonably polite. We will be very happy with you here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call uh, to have your voice heard and to give us your opinion on the sorts of things uh, that go on all the time. And if you've got any stories of stuff that you've seen out there on the law and order front, by all means, let us know. Because what we can do is pass your stories on to those people uh, in power who might be able to do something about it. And one of them is Andrea Jenkins, MP, Conservative for Morley and Outwood. Uh, she's got an animal welfare petition and she wants the government to reverse a decision it has taken to scrap the animal welfare bill. Andrea, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Tell us a bit about your petition. Tell us about the animal welfare bill and why did the government can it? What, what would they do that for? I mean, it was in our manifesto as well, Mike. And we're not talking about, you know, something that's really contentious. This has had cross-party support. And we're talking about not importing animals with dog tears right. um, to, you know, outlaw puppy farming. And th th these are subjects that the general public get behind. Mm. But I think what the concern was is that uh, um, um, at the top, there was concern that opposition had add on some amendments which um, would make it difficult for the party. I yes. mean, all I can assume is that's fox hunting, shooting, stuff like that. Yeah, right. But, I mean, this has got cross-party support. And the bizarre thing to me is, Mike, that... Um, it, only, it was only having five hours left to debate in Parliament. Yesterday, we finished in Parliament, what, about three o'clock? Yeah. Um, and on Monday, we was on a one-line whip. I was in my constituency. So we have got the parliamentary time. Yeah, we have, indeed. I mean, there's been an awful lot of dog stories around as well of late. This year, there's been an awful lot more dog attacks because it seems oh, as though um, that one of the problems at the moment is this XL bully type breed which is coming in as a sort of pit bull style dog from america being made fashionable by hip-hop videos and stuff like that and yes. quite a lot of these dogs are involved in those attacks and it's and it's almost like that needs to be looked at in a way as well doesn't it oh, a million percent mike i mean we're hearing stories every week aren't we yeah and i've i've got a, a constituent um who an elderly lady who got attacked as well yeah. and so it's certainly something we, we need to be looking at in right. the whole package and is it possible then to get the government to kind of reconsider this um, as a bill without maybe the added on bits about foxes? I mean, can you can you safeguard that in some way? I, I, I think it's um, it's possible, you know, through an SI or even through the private members bills that it could um, which um, the ballot's coming soon. So that could certainly be looked at through that without a doubt. Mm. Um and but to me, why I did a petition is, I mean, not many apparently when I spoke to the um, petition clerks is quite unusual for um, a, an MP who's party of government to do a petition against their own government. But I was so saddened for it to be dropped. And we are a nation of animal lovers. Um, yeah. And um, and I, I just thought by not only I mean, I can ask questions in Parliament, which I'll certainly do. I can um, put my name in a ballot to do debates. 
which again I'll certainly do. But to me, it's people power. We're, look, we're behind in the polls. If there's something which is going to focus people's minds, mm. and if if it looks like we've got people power and support behind this, that's going to be focus people's minds. Absolutely. Now I've seen your Twitter post about this petition. Can people sign the petition? Where where are they going to do that? Yes, thank you for that, Mike. Um, you can go on my Twitter and um, at Andrew Jenkins on my Facebook on my website AndrewJenkins.co.uk, or just Google um, um, Parliament petitions, and it's one of the top ones in the um, um, at the top, um, and just okay. click on it, and it's quite easy to sign. So I, I, it's about a day and a half ago I I launched it. So we've got nearly three thousand signatures there. We're a long way off. So I appreciate the time talking about this today no Matt. not at all not at all i understand you've also joined up with net zero watch just to, to take a little side um turning at the moment um what's that for and what what have you decided yes, to do? i mean i mean to me i mean look as a country we're on this bandwagon of this net zero and there's no scrutiny mm. i mean cross party it's got consensus and i think someone's got to scrutinize it um and my personal view is look after um after the lockdown where people got told what to do um, we, we've got to stop banning everything um, and let people live their lives. And so I think, I mean, if you look at what's going on in Germany, there's um, a real uproar um, about heat pumps yeah. and um, doing away with gas boilers. And so I think you can see in other countries, look at case studies to actually, you know, what's going to happen to us if we don't get these policy right. Yeah. So to me, it's about being a critical friend and we've got to stop banning everything. Yeah, well, exactly right. I mean, gas boilers are the greatest invention since the wheel. Um, and oh, yet they amazing. want us to dump them all and start using exactly. things that don't work as well. I mean, why would you? Oh, completely. And to me, um, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, very, you know, um, all about our country, love our country, we've got great resources under our own feet. And we've got to explore fracking as well. Yeah. I, I think, to me, we've got to explore um, what resources we've got um, and ultimately what's um, going to be cheaper for the taxpayer because they are struggling at the moment, aren't they, Mike? Well, this is the thing. I mean, if it was cheap, I mean, I've always said, if, if you want me to buy an electric car, make it cheaper than a petrol car and then maybe I'll get <laughs> one, you know. But now it's even more, it costs even more money now to run an electric car because electricity is oh, so expensive. So it's actually cheaper to have a petrol car now than ever. Um, oh, and, it's not even, and it's not even cheaper uh, to run an electric car anymore. So, I mean, they've really got to reconsider that. If they want it oh, to, to, to be successful, they've got to make it cheaper. But I mean, I've got a diesel car and proud, to be honest, Mike. <laughs> well done, you. Well, it won't be worth nothing in a few years' time, but there we are. Um, <laughs> exactly. Let me ask you about Oliver Dowden. He's going to be up at Prime Minister's Questions today. Yeah. Um, piece of the Telegraph this morning. We discovered it yesterday. Molly Kingsley, um, a, a woman that I count as a friend and who was at the Us For Them organisation, was under yeah. surveillance, apparently, by the government's counter-disinformation unit. I was quite shocked to find that out, to be honest. Um, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time I've um, heard of it, so right. I... OK. I, I, well, I, I mean, apparently it was a unit that was set up in Downing Street during COVID to sort of keep an eye on and monitor uh, people like me and her and Julie that's Hartley Brewer, uh, who might have been a bit questioning of some of the government's policies. Oh, that's policies, ridiculous. Which is I completely mean, mad, isn't it, in a democracy? Apparently it's been done away with now, thankfully. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I completely, Mike. I mean, to me, um, free speech is one of the most important things um, of our country. 
And so, you know, if we've got different views, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to express them. Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you about Sue Gray, because I was under the impression that Sue Gray, um, having been discovered to have been in talks with Sir Keir Starmer long before uh, she finished doing the investigation at Downing Street into Boris Johnson, um, I didn't think she'd ever be able to work for the Labour Party. But we're now told that she's going to be able to take up the job in September. How is that possible? I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, this whole... um, um, thing about Boris and um, the committee, mm. um, it, it feels to me personally a bit like a kangaroo court. Yeah. And um, so I th- don't think it should have been allowed to happen, but that's my humble opinion. <laughs> yes. And and to me, it also makes you look at the civil service. You know, we've had discussions of this before, you know, how impartial are they really? Yes. And well, not very, party... I think it's a straight answer to that. <laughs> exactly. And when you're a part of your government, no wonder we get people you know be trying to um thwart what we're doing like mm. we've seen with the rwanda ponds yeah exactly right you're looking forward to pmqs today is it going to be lively do you think um i'm i'm, I'm sure it is it always is <laughs> yeah um i, I miss it the time where it, it was always much more lively when boris was prime minister i yes. used to really love those ones yes i mean, I mean even Theresa may's it used to get quite um heated in there usually yes. me well that's because well, like, questions was always... against Theresa may usually but <laughs> yeah corbyn was always good for a laugh but i mean can't yeah star was yeah. so boring that i mean oh, completely. you can barely bring yourself to watch it oh absolutely i mean even in here even when you sit in the chamber it and you watch it. Um, I mean, I, I've got quite a short attention span anyway, so I, I find it hard to sit and listen to him for, for too long, to be honest. No, I know. I mean, you and me both. Well, listen, good to talk to you, Andrew. Thanks very much indeed. We'll send a, a petition up on the screen again for people who want to go and find it. Uh, you'll find it at Andrew Jenkins' uh, Twitter account and also on her Facebook as well, if you want to go and sign it. Uh, it's the animal welfare bill that she wants to have uh, reinstated. The government's dropped it because they were worried about what might be added on to it. But I think it's a good thing uh, to stop these um, uh, dogs coming into the country having had their ears basically mutilated. It's a horrible thing. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're going to take some calls coming up. Also, Annabelle Denham is going to join us after midday. She's got a thing or two to say about Oxfam and its latest wokery. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a big day, Wednesday. We've got PMQs underway. Oliver Dowden versus Angela Rayner. We'll bring you the highlights of that with Trevor Kavanagh uh, coming up in a little while. We'll bring you also an update on the Heathrow strikes. We've now got information on the dates that they've decided to strike on. And it's basically most of the summer. Uh, security staff at Heathrow Airport have announced an escalation of strike action. Walkouts are going to take place pretty much every weekend from mid-June to the end of August. I mean... Haven't people suffered enough? People trying to get away on holiday? Unbelievable. Simon Calder will talk to us about that. Annabelle Denham is here as well, Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph. Uh, She's got a regular slot there every Wednesday. Uh, She's going to be giving us the pearls of wisdom uh, that fall from her lips pretty much every week. And we'll find out from her. What's the latest news coming from the world of Oxfam? Oxfam have had a pretty tricky few years recently. Uh, They've been accused of all manner uh, of nastiness, all manner of dreadful activities in various different parts of the world. Um, All sorts of prostitution scandals, sex 
scandals, child sex scandals. Now they're having to go at J.K. Rowling for some reason. And we'll show you what that's all about. Also, Donald McLeod is here uh, visiting us from uh, the north of Britain, Scotland, in other words. He's going to talk to us about Glasgow and the new ULES uh, region that they're bringing in there, which is going to wreck the businesses of Glasgow and wreck the businesses of the west of Scotland. All of that, plus your views as well. Uh, Gal from Rotherham says, I've been designing systems with heat pumps for around 15 to 20 years. It's not new technology. The reason it's never taken off is because it's limited in what it can do. The people pushing this forward obviously don't understand what on earth they are doing. Uh, And here's one from Stephen Formby. He says, Mike, I might be nitpicking, but this has annoyed me. Walking across a Pelican crossing, I was very nearly run into by a Lycra biker who was using the crossing. I see them riding across crossings very often. Are these people vehicles that demand road priority or pedestrians or either when it suits them? Well, Steve, the new highway code says that the priority in any situation is for the pedestrian. Cyclists have got the second most important priority, but they should be giving way to you as a pedestrian crossing a Pelican crossing. It's as simple uh, as that. Now, let's talk to Annabelle Denham, Deputy Comment Editor, of course, of The Telegraph. Annabelle, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. I mean, let's just kick off a little with this news, breaking news we've got about the uh, the new strikes. I mean, you'll, you'll find this hard to believe, right? Officers from Heathrow Terminal 3 are going to join industrial action for the first time, but this is all security staff at Heathrow. They're going to be on strike June 24th, 25th, 28th, 29th, 30th, July 14th to 16th, 21st to 24th, 28th to 31st, and then August, the 4th to the 7th, the 11th to the 14th, the 18th to the 20th, and the 24th to the 27th. They're basically taking every weekend off in the summer. It's going to be virtually impossible to leave the country, and then, of course, people are going to be left with the choice of trying to get on the Eurostar or trying to down to Dover and cross the channel uh, that way and they're going to probably find that that's equally different, difficult, that there are massive queues um, so then people are probably going to be forced to stay in the country but perhaps they'll be, then be battling against the traffic on our roads oh. uh, maybe further rail strikes. No, it's an absolute disaster. There's a real sense of malaise um, across our economy. What's interesting here, of course, is that this uh, is taking place at airports where previously the bulk of the strikes have been in the private sector areas or quasi-private public sector areas like rail, Mm. like lots of strikes um and it's going to create all manner of misery for people uh, when they want to go away on their holidays and really traveling overseas has not normalized uh, since uh, the lockdowns when it was basically impossible to leave the country and even more difficult to get back in and i think what the british people feel that they really deserve uh, is a nice holiday somewhere warm which we're certainly not getting here and that's going to be extremely difficult yeah it really is and, and it's maddening that they, they seem to think they can just willy-nilly walk off the job um with absolutely no cam I mean, there was a time when some strikes actually took account of the feelings of the general public they've obviously now just abandoned that they don't care anymore whether the public supports them they're just going to do it anyway No, I think that's right. And actually, I blame uh, inflation. I think it's a real uh, disease on any country that causes Mm. all sorts of social problems because ultimately it makes people behave in a really selfish way. If their pay packets are being uh, eroded, then it starts to make them look out for themselves. And we find ourselves in this very dog-eat-dog world where there isn't really consideration for how our behaviour affects others uh, because all we're really out to get is more money. And I think... 
until we get inflation under control. And that's you know looking likely by the end of uh, the year, but it's still going to remain persistently high, way above that 2% target for the foreseeable future. And until it comes down, I, I think industrial action is just going to be a feature of, of life in Britain. Yeah. And I think the thing is, and we've been talking about this as well from the point of view of kind of law and order and, and everything kind of breaking down to some extent. Shoplifting is on the rise. People are reporting in business that they're having to sort of take account of thousands of pounds of losses every single week because people are just walking into their shops and walking out with the stuff. I know, it's absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely miserable. Now, of course, there are two problems there. The first is that we have a cost of living crisis that the government doesn't really seem to be able to get to grips with. Uh, Bank of England played a large part by allowing this massive increase in the supply of money that's driven that inflation that's remaining uh, persistently high. Food price inflation is still, you know, over 19%. So that's one problem. And the other is that there are certain crimes that have ultimately been decriminalised. We have a pretty inept police force for a variety of reasons, mm. a lack of funding, uh, the decline in the, the requisite number of police officers. You know, all of these are massive social problems that the government is failing to uh, address. And meanwhile, you've got the prime minister who's going over to America to talk about AI, which possibly is going to be this massive threat to humankind, which certainly is going to be a threat to our jobs. But that is in the medium to longer term, whereas we have a cost of living mm. crisis now. We have very high taxes and over-regulated uh, economy people really struggling to get by and you know our political elite just simply aren't addressing it no because i mean we mentioned lockdown there where, where we haven't really recovered from it we know from that report that was in the telegraph this week um that an awful lot of the lockdown measures probably weren't necessary probably we could have done without but have certainly wreaked an awful lot of havoc not only with the economy but with the mental health crises as well um one of the startling figures for me was that people from the age of 16 to 24 mental health problems have risen from three percent to 23 percent yeah that's absolutely right and i don't think it comes as any surprise could you imagine having gone through lockdown uh, as a teenager when i was a teenager at least my social life was essentially my life it was the most important thing to me and yeah. what we did was we shut teenagers in their rooms and forced them to be on Zoom for six hours every day and assume that that wasn't going to store up all manner of problems for the future. Well, of course it has. And it's, you know, it's the unseen when it comes to uh, lockdown. The people who we didn't consider who might be impacted by it, that maybe that's older people who haven't been diagnosed with cancer because that was a story that we heard this week. We were so fixated on preventing a single COVID death mm. that we didn't think about how lockdown and other very stringent controls might impact people and how we you know we would be paying for this in in so many ways once lockdown had been lifted and now you know now that's what we're seeing yeah it is extraordinary we'll come back to that annabelle if we may we're just going to take a little break here because we need to talk to simon calder who's going to give us a bit of an update uh, on the situation at heathrow airport quite a serious strike being planned members of the unite union have got a long-running dispute going on they had some industrial action at easter they had some last month as well but this now looks like it's going to run through the entire uh, summer holidays from the middle of june uh, pretty much a week or so from now all the way through to the end of august simon a very good afternoon to you uh, yeah, uh, good afternoon, Mike. And I'm afraid um, the poor old uh, airline passenger is once again in the position of simply not knowing how their journey is going to go. Let me just give you the background on mm. this, if I may. Security staff at Heathrow have been engaged in a very long and bitter pay dispute with the management. Basically, they say, or their union, the Unite Union, says, um, that that uh, their pay rises have 
in no sense kept pace with inflation and that they are far worse off than, for example, uh, security staff at Gatwick and at Stansted. Now, Heathrow say we've, we've offered um, a perfectly good uh, a combination of a percentage increase and a flat rate. And we think that we are offering a reasonable sum. Now, as you say, we've had two sets of strikes already. Um, this is involving uh, only security staff at uh, Terminal 5 plus the so-called campus security people. They do things such as uh, uh, staff the checkpoints where stuff gets taken airside. Mm. Um, and it, so far during those strikes, things have gone relatively straightforwardly. On the first lot, British Airways, the only um, tenant at the moment at Terminal 5, cancelled a whole load of, of, of flights, about one in 20, to reduce the pressure on the security checkpoints. But actually, after that, uh, since then, in, in the last round of strikes, um, everything's kind of gone ahead as normal. But now, Unite says, right, we are going to disrupt things at Terminal 3 as well. That's going to affect, they say, passengers on Virgin Atlantic, on Delta, on Emirates, on Cathay Pacific. Um, and that we are we are broadening this and we're going to take action all summer long. And the dates carefully chosen to affect, for instance, big sporting events. Also, the start of the main school summer holidays for England and Wales and then the uh, August bank holiday at the end. Thirty one separate days of strike action. I'm waiting for a response from Heathrow. I can tell you what I think it's going to be, which is that we're very disappointed. We've been perfectly reasonable in our offer. Um, we want this to be put properly to the uh, members. And anyway, we've got contingency plans in place. The thing is, Mike, previously we have 1,400 people striking. Now Unite says it will be well over 2,000. And that's going to stretch um, the Heathrow contingency plan. So uh, messy old situation. If I had a booking from Terminal 5 or Terminal 3, I would presume it would go ahead. But it's the last thing mm. you want, given that we already had hundreds of flights cancelled yesterday by them French air traffic controllers. Sunday, it was the Italians who were striking. And of course, um, the rail strikes, which you and I have discussed once or twice, I believe. Mm. They're still going on. I mean, it's time to get the old um, machete out, isn't it? And start firing a few of these bozos. You know, it's time to get rid of them. Like Ronald Reagan did with the air traffic controllers in the 80s in America. Do you remember when they went on strike and Reagan just went, you're all fired. And he brought in a whole load of new air traffic controllers and everything was fine. Uh, I don't think it's going to work like that. Um, Heathrow, very, very profitable company. And indeed, um, that's one of the arguments of Unite, which is that there's loads of money around. So why not um, just reward your staff a little bit better? Also, um, secure, airport security is extraordinarily um, heavily, quite rightly, monitored and checked and everything. You can't just suddenly say, oh, right, let's let's get... Um, uh, Mike Graham and Simon Calder in to do this. Although I used to actually to, to frisk people at Gatwick. Well, listen, but... air traffic control is a pretty tough, tough old job as well, but they managed to do it in America. So, I mean, you know, one in, one out. Simple. See you, comrade. Well, um, the, I, I think the, um, the, 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 the staff just say we want a reasonable reward for working. And, and bear in mind that this is very, very tough work, extremely uh, antisocial hours, quite often, you know, getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go and do a job where basically nobody wants you to be doing that job. 
and they resent it and they're stressed and angry. So um, it's not not a, a, the, the best possible place to be working, unlike, for example, talk TV. No, this is a lovely place to work. But then, you know, some of us have worked very hard to get to places like this and we didn't go on strike. That's why. Um, also, they're not going to be working at the weekends. They're going to be missing an awful lot of paydays. So they've obviously got plenty of money if they can afford to do that. Well, no, they say, look, we've got a lot of people who are actually on, on kind of poverty wages. So, yes, they... they well, they're they... going to do without a lot of money in the summer, then, aren't they? Uh, well, they are. They are indeed. I mean, um, when I was uh, working in security, and this was in the 20th century, so it's probably not applicable, you, you could sort of pick up a fair amount of overtime if you wanted it. But um, uh, no, it's, it's, it's awful times. Mm. And I tell you what, I think on both sides, Mike, this is turning into a real kind of um, a flagship dispute. So Sharon Graham, the General Secretary of the Unite Union, is very strongly involved in this dispute. And Heathrow are basically saying, because actually Heathrow could throw a bit more money at it and, and solve it in, in in an hour, really. Um, and they, they could, without uh, upsetting their um, shareholders too much, but that they, I think, are, are, are saying that, you know, we're not going to give in to this group of workers. If we do, then everyone else is going to do that. So we're going to be tough as well. Um, poor old passenger, as usual, stuck mm. in the middle. As usual, decent law-abiding citizens have to bear the brunt uh, of these ridiculous strikes. Absolutely horrendous. Simon, thanks very much indeed. We'll come back to Annabelle Denham very shortly after this on Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Christine in Surrey says, Unite and all other militant unions need replacing with AI. Security will be ramped up with the use of AI technology. I'm sick of these selfish, communistic idiots. Well, to strike every weekend through the summer really is ludicrous. And Glenn says, my 32-year-old stepson during the pandemic was forced to work from home. He's still working from home three years on. He's now been diagnosed with severe depression. Can't bear the thought of meeting new people. Well done, Chris Whitty. Well, I think this is the problem that nobody even really knows the the the, uh, the extent to which people have been really harmed by this lockdown and by the COVID pandemic uh, sort of restrictions that were put into place. And now, as Annabel Denham will t- be telling us, you know, the uh, uh, the, the difficulties travelling away from Heathrow um, are going to make it even more of a miserable summer. Not much to look forward to, Annabel. I'm afraid. No, that's absolutely right. I think things are looking a little bit bleak uh, at the moment. And, you know, we, we touched earlier on the impact of lockdown on younger people and the fact that we now have this mental health crisis and how really when you consider what young people went through during the pandemic, mm. that's not altogether uh, surprising. And you know, my concern is that young people are coming of age and they're going to feel like their prospects have been massively dampened. Perhaps they were studying when we had all the exams fiasco when they were then they weren't then they were going to be sitting gcse's or a levels they've had obviously a massive amount of missed education i think that we're it's becoming clear now that education for many people is a bit of a con. We have bosses saying that it's virtually meaningless in the workplace. Um, So we've got to come to terms with this and we've got to really look at ways of addressing this mental health crisis among young people, which of course is meaning that they are not going into the workplace. They're not filling those vacancies, which are still extremely high. Hundreds and thousands of jobs that are being listed that simply are not being filled, Mm. which is driving up the cost of labour. 
which in turn is exacerbating the inflation problem that we have. You know, there, as I say, there are so many issues with our economy. A number of those are down to lockdown. A number of them are down to the fact that we printed all of this money, that we paid people uh, to stay at home. And many of those people, hundreds of thousands of those people simply haven't gone back into uh, the workplace. But many other of the problems like our stagnant productivity, like sluggish growth, actually predate uh, the pandemic. And I don't think that there's been sufficient exploration as to why that is. Mm. But my suspicion is that we have far too much regulation in this economy, that we have a government that cannot help but limit our ordinary men, women and businesses room for manoeuvre, that that's causing all sorts of problems. And back to young people particularly, we have a housing crisis in this country, which no main political party seems willing to tackle. And what that's been doing is driving up rents. It's been raising the age. Uh, of first-time buyers. That, in turn, has perhaps exacerbated the fertility uh, crisis that's coming down the line. So you can see you know, how all of, a lot of these problems actually go back down to the decisions that are being made uh, uh, by Westminster and perhaps by the Bank of England. Um, and yet there isn't really any accountability because we're able to blame them on, on black swan events, perhaps blame it on Brexit, uh, some convenient scapegoat, uh, blame it on lockdown. Um, and I think you know, the time has really come now for the government to set out how it is going to address uh, these challenges. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Let's take a little side um, um, road off to the uh, uh, Oxfam world, where Oxfam, who have had a pretty rough few years, have been criticised this week because of a video that they've put out, uh, which apparently is creating J.K. Rowling as a bit of a hate figure, uh, as an anti-trans woman. Let's have a look. How are you marking Pride Month this year? While LGBTQIA plus people around the world are deprived of basic safety, not protected by laws, preyed on by hate groups online and offline, discriminated against at work, deprived of opportunities and pushed to the margins. But pride can be found etched deeply in the hand of a friend, the hug of a chosen family member, or the safe spaces of a kind community. This Pride Month, we take pride in those who protect and champion safety for LGBTQIA people. We all must stand together with queer folks online, at work, in schools, in sport, through laws, everywhere. We call to protect the pride. Are you with us? I remember when Oxfam used to just be a charity that helped people uh, who lived in countries that were, you know, uh, suffering from famines and floods and all manner of horrible natural disasters. They seem to now be obsessed with, you know, the woke culture. Um, horrible uh, uh, sort of picture depiction there of J.K. Rowling uh, with a badge that says turf on it, uh, which, of course, is uh, the trans exclusionary radical feminist thing. I mean, what's going on with these people? I mean, I think Oxfam have lost the plot. Now, this has been clear for a number of years. Um, but I don't tend to weigh in on trans issues, on the culture wars, but this is just absolutely outrageous. Here we have a charity ostensibly there to support the poorest in developing countries and instead it's squandering money on Pride Month cartoons portraying J.K. Rowling as a satanic 
turf you know it's it's a long way from uh, its original aim and i think importantly it's supposed to be there to help the most disenfranchised and that will usually be mean women so why has it created this vile misogynistic video and it's also you know inaccurate jk rowling at least as far as i can tell is not a turf this is a myth that has been perpetuated uh, by the extreme wing of the trans movement mm. turf in and of itself is i think a terrible uh, awful sexist and ageist term mm. but jake rowling is somebody who has bravely championed the rights of women she created edinburgh's second rape crisis center the first of course being run by a trans woman mm. and yes she has questioned things like the medicalization of children but what she's really saying is that there are potentially downsides that she feels ought to be discussed she is not saying that she dislikes uh, trans people you know and i think that that's such an important distinction. Um, however, what I would say, Mike, is that there perhaps is a positive to draw from this, um, because not only has Oxfam just further destroyed its own reputation, but within hours it had pulled this video and issued an apology. And I'm not sure that we would have seen that even a couple of years ago. Yeah. It feels as though we've reached kind of the high watermark or identified the high watermark yeah. of trans ideology and there is simply an amount that the British public are not willing to accept and now we know what that is and I expect that this might be some kind of warning to other charities tempted to put out uh, similar content yeah. and alongside this I think we are actually seeing a bit of a correction from this woke corporatism that we've seen in the last few yeah. years if you consider uh, the Nike advert if you consider Budweiser uh, advert and the impact that that had on its stock price yeah. you know the companies have previously been able to behave in a very woke way without consequences perhaps um made them more popular among those on the left and those on the right haven't really objected uh, to some of the adverts that they've been putting out but the, I think that 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 changes afoot and you know perhaps Oxfam have unwittingly contributed to that. Yeah maybe so because I mean it shouldn't really be a left right thing it should just be a common sense thing I mean Oxfam should be more about pushing what they supposedly do uh, which is go into countries as I say which have got famines or which have got uh, a need for help from an international rescue type organisation and I'm pretty sure that most people in those countries will not be obsessing about what their bloody pronouns are. Yeah, that's quite right. I mean, this virtue signalling is definitely a distraction from uh, what we would think should be Oxfam's core uh, objective. And it's not the first uh, story scandal to surround uh, the charity, of course, in the aftermath of the Haiti earthquake in 2010. There was an investigation into reports that uh, employees had abused local women. It came under fire for not addressing this anywhere near quickly enough. You know, I take exception to the fact that every year it publishes an anti-rich report which demands radical and wholly impractical redistribution of wealth and ultimately provides an opportunity for the left's performative outrage. Um, and doesn't really do anything beyond that, but people still seem to take it seriously. So, you know, I, I think that uh, some reputation management is definitely in order. And the obvious way of doing that is not to fritter money away on cartoons that depict J.K. Rowling as a turf, but rather to look at how we can, the charity can help uh, the poorest and most disenfranchised across the developing world. Absolutely right. Annabelle, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Annabelle Denham, Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph there with her take uh, of the week there talking about Oxfam. And I mean, what on earth are they thinking? What is wrong with them? You know, just go and save a few lives. Try not to sexually interfere with the children. 
and uh, get on with your job. That's what I'd be saying. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.